Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Working Overtime, the advice forward Robin to Working's Batman. I'm your host, Isaac Butler. I guess that makes me Robin, which is to say you're the host, June Thomas. <laughs> June, I would like to congratulate you on reaching an important milestone. I am not talking about the work on your forthcoming book about lesbian <laughs> life uh, in the 20th century through the series of different spaces that were important to that life, but rather nope. you have survived your first winter in Scotland. There's <laughs> now daylight where you are, I imagine. Yes. Uh, how's life? What's it like? You know, I think people mistake Scotland for like northern Minnesota. It's really quite mild here. It's lovely today. The weather is perfect for me. It's about 60 degrees, or as we say here and in the rest of the world, about 16 degrees. It's not humid. In the winter, we had one or two days of a couple of millimeters of snow. It's really temperate and nice, like Seattle before climate change. I don't know what people think it's like, but yeah, now we've got tons of light. I have to admit, it was a bit of a bummer in the winter when it got very dark very early, but I'm loving the weather here. So, Isaac, this is not a show about the weather. It is a show where we give advice about the creative process. So what on earth are we going to talk about today? You know, I'm glad you asked, June, because we got a delightful email from a relatively new listener named Brigitte, who is a writer in Montreal. And she writes... My question is, as creative people, what importance do you grant the work on oneself part? Unravel one's patterns regarding success, for example. Using techniques to anchor the confidence, overcome your obstacles, etc. Maybe this is a question that would be more of interest to June Thomas. <laughs> Brigitte, thank you for bringing this up. I have a feeling she thinks it will be mostly of interest to you because you are our most outspoken advocate of targeted, planned, well-managed, Goal set, self-improvement. And it's one of the things I admire most about you. Oh, I do enjoy a little bit of self-reflection, Isaac, I have to admit. I enjoy spending time with my notebook, figuring out processes, divining intentions. I found it really useful to ask myself, is this really what you want to be doing? And then I try to be honest with myself when I answer that question. I think we all have to figure out how to take care of ourselves, how to support our families, pay the bills. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do those things in a way that offers at least a possibility of happiness and maximum fulfillment. That for me is the main point and the benefit of self-improvement. I, I just want to do what I can to minimize misery. But what about you, Isaac? Is this a thing you care about at all? Actually, I care about it a lot, June. And because I must bring everything back around to my book, The Method, How the 20th Century Learned <laughs> to Act, it's worth saying that in Russian, Stanislavski's first book about acting, the, the title of it translates to An Actor's Work on Oneself. Working on oneself mm. is deeply tied into being an artist in any field and actually into my areas of research specialty. I'm excited to tackle all this stuff, and we will start doing so right after this. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, do you have any tips or questions about the creative process? Get in touch and share your advice. You can email us at workingatslate.com or even better, you can call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-WORK. All right, back to Working Overtime. June, I mentioned Stanislavski earlier in part because I have a feeling at this point some of our listeners take a drink whenever I say his name. But part (laughs) of what I find very inspiring about his approach to being an actor or being an artist in general, because he actually was also a visual artist and a director and all Mm. sorts of other things, is that to him, you had to have a rich inner life in order to be a great artist. And in order to be a good actor, you also had to have high ethical standards for your own behavior. Mm. So he expected you not only to cultivate wide knowledge of things like art history and poetry and whatever, and to work on your body and voice, but he also expected you to behave a specific way when working on a play, put your ego aside, work towards the greater good. He's actually the guy who coined the phrase, there are no small parts, only small actors. But figuring out how to cultivate those habits of mind, heart, and ego, it's really no small task. No, totally. And especially at a time when we are surrounded by narcissistic egoists, and I'm talking about figures in politics and tech, not in our friend groups. I just love the idea of developing an inner life rather than focusing on outward manifestations of the self and and all those status symbols that we're surrounded by. I realize, though, that acting does have quite an extensive external component, but I love to hear that. Yeah, totally. So how do we approach this question of working on oneself and what it means? Because I have a feeling we'll have Mm -hmm. some different answers to this. Brigitte lists (laughs) as her examples, unraveling our patterns, changing our views of success, using specific techniques to be more confident to overcome obstacles. Then she says, et cetera. And it seems to me there's Mm. a whole lot in that, et cetera. Each of us has our own, et cetera. How do you even know what you have to work on? Like, I feel like with craft stuff, it's easy. You look at it and you're like, oh my God, I use the passive voice way too much or, you know, whatever it is. But can you do that with gulp? The self? (laughs) I think you can. I am very fond, particularly of that unraveling our patterns part of Brigitte's question. I try to make a habit of doing regular check-ins with myself about how things are going in my life. Every quarter or thereabouts, every three months, I take an afternoon and I look back on that period and try to figure out what went well, what didn't go so well and what exasperated me. Then I'll try to figure out some lessons from that, one of which should be how can I stop being irritated by that thing? I actually bought a video course from a guy I listen to on podcasts, Mike Schmitz from the Focused and Bootworm shows, to give me some ideas about what he calls personal retreats. For me, though, this is just really fun. I haven't been in therapy for many years, but I think there's a therapeutic element to just reflecting on how you're spending your time and the direction you're heading in. It seems very basic, but I feel like I've had to say to people a lot over the years, 
that clearly articulating what you want does not guarantee that you'll get it by any means. But if you don't spend time at least thinking about where you'd like your life to go, it's very hard to figure out next steps to get on that path. I have so many questions about this. <laughs> what form does that reflection take? Is there a, maybe a specific journal that you do this in? Is it is it lists? Is it, you know, do you do you literally do things I accomplished, things I sucked at, things I want to work on? You know, how, how do you do that? So it's funny that you mentioned the actual notebook because I took great pride this particular time, the most recent time I did it, on finding like slotting some of the answers to these exercises in just like the tiniest spaces on paper I hadn't written on in a notebook as if like I was really short of paper instead of the truth, which is that I've got shelves and shelves of notebooks that need to be written in. There are lots of different types of questions and different types of exercises, some of which we'll get to later in the show. But I just think it, it really doesn't matter though, ultimately, you have to kind of figure out what is good for you. I mean, I think we like we feel like we say that a lot. But what do you do? It might surprise you to learn I'm a little more intuitive about this stuff. I feel like I figure <laughs> it out two ways. One is I just like, you know, what's historically causing me trouble? I hear my wife on her, you know, she has a corporate job and they use the word pain points to talk about, you know, areas yeah, of difficulty yeah. that their clients or whatever are having. So, you know, what's making me stay up at night worrying? When I wake up in yeah. the morning and my heart's racing, what am I thinking about? If I freaked out about something in the past, wh what is it? And the other way is, you know, what do other people in my situation routinely confront as big problems? Because part of it is, you know, mm. hopefully when you're living your life, it's not all patterns. You're experiencing new things, right? So it's like other people who are more advanced than I am in their careers or whatever, how did they deal with this? What came up? Brigitte mentioned changing one's view of success, for example. Whenever you're yeah. putting something creative into the world, your view of success is really a huge problem. I have seen so many friends get kind of sucked into the airplane engine of, of what the culture is telling you success is. And, you know, like a like a duck, they get, you know, chewed up and spit oh. out by it. And then the plane crashes or whatever. And I, I just mm. like I could just see that problem really brewing in the distance. So one thing I decided before the method came out was that I needed to set my own metrics for success. If I hadn't met those, of course I would have felt bad. It's okay to feel bad yeah. when you don't succeed at something you want to succeed at, but at least they were my terms. They were not someone else's terms. They were what I really thought success was. And so if I failed at that, you know, it, it wasn't some thing I had no control over or whatever. It was me. Yeah. It was what I really wanted. Yeah, that's so wise. Another interesting thing that you you said in that answer uh, was something that I haven't consciously considered, which was anticipating the problems that my peers routinely experience and strategizing ways to avoid them. That sounds really smart and useful. I mean, I guess I've done it in the kind of worst case straw man version of that. Like we all maybe have a few things in our heads that like we definitely don't want to do that. Like I am aware, not in my close friend group, but there are always these people that we're all sort of slightly conscious of, of people who started a book. It might not even have been their first book, but they just got totally bogged down and lost and they seem to have kind of lost themselves in the process and had to pay back the advance that's the other thing you know well, we don't want to exactly, have to do that i don't yeah. want to do that no exactly yeah so you know there's so much in life that's outside our control why not do what you can do to think about how you can minimize stress anxiety discomfort and maximize focus and contentment that's what this is all about for me let me offer an example 
which I know will surely seem like a massive waste of time to some people, but it's been helpful to me. There are several techniques that ask you to think what you would do if there were no musts in your life. Like you had all the money you needed, there are, you're content in your living situation, your family is just a container of happiness. What would you do then? And the point of this, obviously, is to identify the things you think would make you happy if there were no problems. So one incarnation of this is the ideal schedule. If your time was your own and you could spend it doing whatever you wanted to do, what would you do? And I guess for some people that might be sitting on a beach, it might be going down the pub every day. Those are, I might do a little bit of at least one of those things. But, you know, mine would also include thinking and writing, um, maybe less than when you have Bill staring you in the face, but that would be still very important to me. And what would you not want to do? I My ideal life has no meetings, though I know that there are people who genuinely enjoy them. Now, coming up with the ideal schedule doesn't do much on its own, but if you sit with it, is there something in there that you really want to try to make a reality and that you're willing to sacrifice security and comfort for? If so, can you figure out a way to make it happen in real life and make something from your ideal life possible. So, you know, stuff like that. You know, I'm reminded of the Stoics. Their technique for some of this stuff was actually to imagine terrible things happening so that you could work through the emotions of those things so that when those things really happen, you could remain, well, stoical about it. And that seems silly to me, right? That's that's like a performance of, of virtue. And I don't even know that that's virtuous to act like you're not feeling something. But there is something to imagining the future and to really sit there as an imaginative, creative act to think about the good things that could happen in the future, the bad things that could happen in the future and how you want to live your life accordingly. I have to just pop in here to say that that's not coincidence. The Stoic philosophy is hugely popular with a lot of people, I I really should say a lot of men, in the uh, quote-unquote productivity space. So yeah, yeah, for sure. And speaking of imagining the future, I want you to imagine, as you're listening to this, that when we come back, you will hear us talk about whether or not working on yourself can be systematized. Is the soul something that responds to bullet journaling, or is it more like free jazz? Stay tuned. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. 
Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listeners, I want to remind you that if you are enjoying working overtime, please subscribe to Working so that you never miss an episode. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love you to rate or review the show. It really does help new listeners to find us. And if Overcast is your app of choice, please hit the star to recommend the episode to others. June, you've spoken quite inspiringly about your love of systems <laughs> over the three years we've been doing this show, particularly around productivity. And some of my favorite episodes of this show involve you talking to people from that world, the world that, as you know, I'm somewhat mystified by. Do you <laughs> yes. have systems for working on yourself as a person? I do. So as I mentioned earlier, I do that regular check-in with myself. It's a kind of, I guess, a more frequent personal equivalent of the annual review that happens in most workplaces. I also like to gather questions that I can ask myself on a regular basis. So every Sunday when I'm closing out one week and preparing for the next, I ask myself, what went well that week? Where was I stuck? That's those pain points you mentioned earlier and my hopes and intentions for the next week. Others, I just collect and take a look at on no particular schedule. So on your recent review, did you get like a leadership 1.0, <laughs> goals 2.0, yeah. or, you know? I absolutely aced everything. Amazing. So more seriously, though, what are the kinds of questions you're asking yourself in those moments? So here's a list of questions that I collected from a recent Austin Cleon newsletter. Now, these are probably more kind of like those weekly, monthly checking questions, but this is an example. So where am I in my current projects? What did I accomplish last week? What do I need to think about further? Think What I need to think about is, I think, a really useful construct. Is there any reading or research I need to be doing? The answer for me there is always yes, because I love research. It never ends. It never ends and it never should. And what should my priorities be this week or month? Now, those are things organized people would do anyway, I think. But making it into an explicit checklist reduces the associated stress that's involved with figuring out what you need to do next, I think. That's amazing. You know, I, I do feel like listening to that. Some people might say like that that sounds like busy work or whatever. But do you have like fun things that you do or that you think of as fun? Maybe you think of all of that as fun. But what's an example of like a fun activity associated with this? So I truly do think of it as fun. And I know some people think of it as busy work. I think we all have a threshold from where productive use of our time turns into busy work. But this is absolutely fun and, and stuff I get out of. This is this is nothing I'm any, in any way resentful about. But I just want to mention another thing that maybe will appeal to more people, because I don't think there's any busy work in this. So in his book, Building a Second Brain, Tiago Forte resurfaced an exercise that was originally developed by physicist Richard Feynman, and it's called Favorite Problems. 
Feynman typically had 13 of them on the go at any time. I don't think there's anything particularly magical about that number. And they are a, quote, concrete set of questions you rely on to both filter the information you consume and to connect the dots between challenges and potential solutions. So it's not a question you're looking for a simple solution to. It's bigger issues that you're pondering long term and you're just kind of constantly running in the background. So It's not, what should I have for dinner? It's more things like, how can I cook healthy meals for my family every day that won't take too much time and also taste good? Some might be about your work and your vocation, some about relationships, exercise, whatever you're trying to get better at. Does that sound like something that would appeal to you? Is that something you would do? Uh. Yes, I guess. Although, you know, at the same time, as you and our longtime listeners are aware, I constantly run up against the problem of habit formation and how bad I am at it. And so, you know, the way I get around my own problems with that is I create things that I have to do. So, you know, as we talked about in our New Year's resolution episode, I wanted to get in better shape this year. And so, you know, like I joined a Pilates gym. I Mm. have to register for classes two weeks in advance because they fill up and I get charged if I skip the classes (laughs) and that motivates me to go. And when it comes to, you know, internal work, I have a therapist and we've been working together for a really long time. A lot of our work is focused on work stuff now, you know, because I'm just completely self-actualized as a human being in my personal (laughs) life, of course, as you know, it's mostly focused on, on work and and the business of being a freelance writer and breaking old habits around success and feeling vulnerable around feedback and, you know, all that stuff we talk about the show. And one thing I like about involving another person in this process and doesn't have to be a therapist, it could be a circle of friends, it could be your partner or spouse or whatever, is they see things I can't see. Right. We only have our own perspective. We can't always step outside of ourselves to know what we need to work on. And it's helpful to have someone else to talk to. And, 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 you know, sometimes that someone else will tell you, actually, that doesn't seem to really be a problem. This thing you're obsessing over, it's because there's this other thing that you don't want to look at. You know, we need someone who can talk this stuff out with us and, and point out what we can't see. Yeah. I have to say, though, Isaac, it does not seem to me that you're bad at habit formation since you have discovered what you need to do to make habits stick. It's just not what maybe other people say is the way of doing it. So I just want to challenge you on that. You're very sweet, June. (laughs) I have not been in therapy for quite a long time, but I have spent 26 years in a relationship with a former therapist. So I am very much in favor. Yes to therapy. Therapists are amazing people. Um, As we so often say on working, there's no one true path. For some people, a negative motivation, like the one you described, losing money if you don't go to a class, having to make a donation to an organization you oppose, which just feels much too much to me, that can be effective. Some really value feedback from trusted sources. For some people, going to a concert or to a religious service puts them in the quote-unquote correct headspace. Whatever works for you, go for it. You just have to... Try and find that thing in that process. So June, Brigitte asked us if this was something we grant importance to, which of course opens up the possibility that maybe there's times where you shouldn't grant mm. importance to it. Just like how you can, you know, revise your essay or book so many times that you actually ruin it or you never yeah. finish it or whatever. Are there times when you should stop revising yourself where like you actually just kind of need to ignore the areas of personal development so that you can move forward in your life? I'm loath to answer yes to this, but... I think it is about priorities. And I don't think people should get anxious even when those priorities shift. That's natural. If you have a massive work deadline, 
If someone is sick and you need to support them, if someone in your family is having a baby, if you're moving and you have a thousand things that you have to take care of by a certain date, or if you need to find a job or you can't pay your bills, these are all these kinds of big things that naturally jump to the front of the queue. And, you know, if your manuscript is due on, oh, I don't know, I'm just going to pick a date at random, June 26, and I still have things to figure out or polish the weekend before, that is not the time to set all my work aside and do the quarterly annual retreat. So in short, Isaac, yes, sometimes you should not prioritize working on yourself. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, one way that I navigate this is that, you know, an, a nice thing about therapy is that it's scheduled, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. it happens at once every week for, well, 50 minutes, not an hour, but you know, this <laughs> is the time where no matter what, you're going to think about the stuff you have to work on about yourself. So, yeah. you know, what's helpful about that is sometimes an issue is arising and it's like, am I going to dwell on this thing? Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. actually, I don't have time to do that. I need to read this book or write this draft or whatever. And so you just write a little post-it note to yourself that says, talk about your hunger for fame and therapy or, you know, whatever. This, though, for me, connects to a question I've always had about your various organizational <laughs> systems. Do you schedule specific time to engage with them? I know you mentioned Sundays, but it's like, do you have time blocked off on your calendar? You know, if someone tries to schedule something during that time, do you say, no, I'm absolutely not free? Mm. Uh, or is this something where like when you're in an idle moment, you go, what I should really be doing right now is zettel casting about, you know, <laughs> my uh, personal problems. Are you looking at my calendar right now, Isaac? I am not. <laughs> because you could be, because yes, what you're describing is exactly what my calendar looks like. I do try to close off the week and start the new one afresh. I try to spend some time at the end of the quarter, you know, figuring out what went well and what I want to do differently. At the end of the day, I take time to write down what I need to accomplish the next day so I know what I'm going to start with. And these days, at least, other than on the day we typically record working, I have the hours of nine to two blocked off to work on my book. Of course, it helps that two o'clock is when America logs on and then I am open to speaking and engaging. But yeah, I, I think it's a really good idea to time block, as the uncool kids say. Yes. And time blocking can apply to work on yourself as well. Indeed. All the work we do, Isaac, is working on ourselves. That's your Working Overtime Cohen of the Week, folks, brought to you by Deep Thoughts. That's all the time we have for this episode of Working Overtime. Just a reminder that if you want to support Slate and the work we do on working, we would love you to consider becoming a member of Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash working plus today. We've already told you about all the goodies you get, but still, I mean, it's they're great goodies. Full access behind the paywall, a, a lovely newsletter, bonus episodes, bonus segments of your favorite shows, um, and the comfort and security of knowing that you are a virtuous person who supports <laughs> everything we do right here on Working. Thank you to Bridget for writing to us. We love our listener emails. I hope we were able to be of some help to you. Special thanks to Working Overtime's producer, Kevin Bendis, and to Working's series producer, Cameron Drews. Two gentlemen who need no improvement. We'll have a new episode of Working this Sunday and Working Overtime will return in two weeks. Until then, get back to work. Work.